0: turn on my microphone is what i need to do Uh, (laughs) i need a brave soul you don't have to come up here but i need a brave soul to answer a question um it's not anything too embarrassing (laughs) it's a good preface right what's the greatest compliment you've ever received somebody the greatest compliment i know it's kind of a tough question greatest compliment you've ever received let's see all right right here christina Oh, yeah. so how did that, wait a minute, I'm not done yet, <laughs> you're hey, okay, now, see, you, you step in, you're all the way in, all right, all right, so how did that make you feel? That felt really good. Felt good. Did, could you say that you might have felt encouraged? Yes. yes. Yes, yes, but you felt good, you felt encouraged, right, made you want to do a better job, I would imagine, made you feel like you had accomplished something, uh, anybody else want to answer before we move on, anybody else? Oh, sorry. Where at? I didn't see the hand. Go I ahead, Bob. I do. Yes, I do. Yeah, because there's that suspense, right? You think she's going to say it, but uh, yeah, yeah. Now, how did that make you feel? Fantastic. Yeah, fantastic. Encouraged. Point being, we all enjoy encouragement, don't we? I mean, I, I don't think I've ever met anybody that says, I hate encouragement. I mean, I, I don't think I've ever met anybody. Uh, unless they're just, you know, they've 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 got some kind of sadistic whatever, you know, uh, mentality. But the power of encouragement is the point I'm getting at. And encouragement is powerful. I mean, these, you know, Christina shared this story. That, I mean, that 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 stuck with her. And we all, I and mean, we could go around the room. It might take you a minute, but you could think of something that somebody said to you at some point in your life that that resonated with you. or or encouraged you to do something more, to be greater than you were. And for those of us who follow Christ, we want to make a difference in his kingdom for his glory. And that means not only do we need encouragement to do that, we need to be encouragers. John Maxwell says this, we want to make a difference for the kingdom of God. What kind of impact do you want to make in this world? That's the question he asks. Here's what he says. He says, most of us desire to do something that matters something important with our lives. I believe that people are more important than anything else on this earth. So impacting the lives of people is one of the most significant things any one of us can do. How can we, in a positive way, impact the life of another person? He says, through encouragement. And I would definitely agree with that. Encouragement is one of the greatest gifts that you and I can receive, as we've shared some examples. It's also one of the greatest gifts that you and I can give. Why is it so important? Why do people want it so much? Why do people value it so much? Because I believe God hardwired us to need and to want encouragement. I mean, I think that's just how we're built, and we need to encourage each other. So let's again define uh, encouragement. Stuart Briscoe breaks down the word encouragement this way: at the heart of the word uh, encourage or encouragement, we see that that's that word c o u r, the word core, which uh, means heart. And at the heart of the word encouragement, so that's at the heart of the word. Courage, which is also the heart of the word encouragement. So the core is core, heart. The heart of the word encouragement is courage. So we could say that encouragement means to put heart into people or to impart courage to others to try, to risk, and to press on. Because there are going to be times in our lives where we need someone to put heart into us, to give us courage, to come alongside us, to keep going, to move forward, maybe just to keep pressing on, to keep trying. it is. It is really a stimulus for our soul encouragement is now let 's be clear this isn 't a series about uh, you know some self help type of thing this is this is spiritual this is biblical encouragement is biblical it 's from God encouragement we see uh, many times we are, we are called to be encouragers. It's uplifting, and we lift up Jesus when we lift up other people. So when I'm lifting you up in encouragement, I'm exalting the name of Jesus. I know this because Romans 15:5. one of the, the titles that God has for himself is the God of encouragement. He's the source. And I also know that you and I, as his people, are to encourage one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says that. Encourage one another. Over 30 times in the New Testament, we're told to be encouragers. One of the duties of believers' lives is to be an encourager. If this church, I believe, is to remain healthy and strong, then we need to be people of encouragement. I mean, part of the Great Commission, when you think about going and spreading the gospel, sharing the gospel to all nations, uh, making disciples, uh, a big part of that, a big component in that is encouragement, because you're going to come alongside someone and encourage them to grow spiritually. Uh, There are going to be days where they feel like they can't do what God's called them to do, and you're going to be encouraging them. People are going to be encouraging you to keep going, to try, to press on, to keep moving forward, encouragement. It takes encouragement to fulfill the Great Commission. And if you've ever been encouraged by God, then you are qualified to be an encourager to somebody else. And I think if you are a child of God, then you certainly have been encouraged by God. Uh, We all can just salvation itself, right, is an encouragement among many other things, but it is an encouragement. Uh, We see this man who is given the name Mr. Encouragement, is a great example for us in this. His real name is Joseph, we talked about last week, but his nickname is Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. And so this guy, who nobody knows his real name, he's one of those that falls into the category, nobody knows his real name, they only know him by his nickname. He was such an encourager, he was such a blessing to the people around him, that the apostle said, "Hey, we're gonna. You're you're no longer gonna be known as Joseph. We're gonna call you by a nickname, son of encouragement, Mister Encourager. You're such a blessing to the people around you. You're now forever, uh, forever gonna be known." As Mr. Encouragement. That's how much of an encourager he was. And so every time they called his name, they were reminded. Every time we call his name, we're reminded of the importance of encouragement. And God gave us this story of Barnabas to impact our story. Everything in Scripture is intentional, every character is intentional. And this is certainly true of Barnabas because God wants you to be encouraged by this story the purpose of this series for us to be encouraged by this story but also so that we will be an encouragement to others as a result of the example following the example of Barnabas there are four things that the bible tells us about Barnabas one he was a personal follower of Jesus Christ we know that he had a born again relationship with Jesus two he's serious about Jesus being his lord <clears throat> excuse me he's serious about Jesus being his lord about following Christ Three, he loves the church. We saw last week he gave. He he sacrificed some of his material future uh, for the sake of investing in his eternal and in, in eternal inheritance. He he gave for the church. He loved the church. He's not a guy that wakes up on Sunday morning. Do I go to church? Do I not go to church? No, he's committed to the church. He's committed to being present, but also committed to to giving whatever God gives him, uh, investing. And so that the church can fulfill its purpose. And then four, he's committed to the mission of Jesus, of loving people to Jesus. And we see that very clearly in our, our passage today. He's one of the major players, Barnabas, is in the book of Acts. We see him mentioned as the gospel. You know, remember, Acts is about uh, Jesus working through uh, the acts of the apostles. But Jesus working through the apostles, the, the church is spreading. Uh, to the ends of the earth. And we see Barnabas mentioned twenty five over 25 times in this book. He's, he's a main figure, one of the main figures in this book. Barnabas, like all encouragers, does not live his life for himself, which is one of the reasons he's mentioned so much in this book. He's always popping up. He lives his life for others, and by giving his life away so he can bless and encourage someone for the glory of God. That's what we, when we see Barnabas, that's what he's doing. I mean, continuously through the book of Acts. Last week, we talked about how to be a generous encourager and how Barnabas exemplified that for us. This week, we're going to talk about encouragement through friendship, and we're going to be in Acts chapter 9, uh, the conversion of Saul, Paul, All right, we're going to look at, uh, really, I'm going to walk you through the first 28 verses. We're going to zero in on verses 26 through 28. We're going to see how encouragement and friendship are tied together. Now, understand, Acts chapter 9, this is a very critical time in the life of the church. Um, Barnabas is smack dab, Mr. Encouragement himself, smack dab in the middle of this most critical time. In Acts 9, we get introduced to a Jewish guy named Saul. Now, don't get confused. That's Paul, okay? We see Saul here, and Saul is his Jewish name, but when we see him throughout the New Testament, he's going by his Roman name, Paul, because he is the apostle to the Gentiles, okay? So don't get confused. In this passage, he's going to be called Saul, but it is Paul. We're talking about Paul, the guy who would go on to be... Uh, arguably the greatest missionary of all time, All right, uh, wrote most of the New Testament. This is Paul. But when we refer to him today, we're going to be talking mostly, we're going to mostly be calling him Saul by his Jewish name. The Bible tells us that before he became the Apostle Paul, he was, and I'm not being dramatic here, he was the equivalent for us in our modern day of a terrorist when it came to the church. I mean, he was, he was ruthless I mean, he was raised in a wealthy family, had a great education. He was a Pharisee. He was well-educated, very religious, following the rules in terms of Judaism. I mean, there was none better than Saul. I mean, he was, he, he was by the book, all right? Uh, and so he also, he took that to the extreme, to the point to where if you were a Christian, if you followed Christ, he would do anything in his power and the power given to him to get rid of you. I mean, he had moms and dads ripped from their home, children. I mean, he had uh, people uh, killed, put in prison. I mean, we see him uh, at the stoning of Stephen. Uh, we see Paul right there involved in it. I mean, he he is very much a persecutor of the church, terrorizing the church with any, in any way he can. All right, so this is the guy, Saul, That we're reading about, that that becomes the greatest missionary of all time, who wrote most of the New Testament. That if you are if you're familiar with the Bible at all, you're familiar with this guy. But but we see him prior to Acts chapter nine, the greatest persecutor of the church. The complete and total opposite of that. He had incredible head knowledge as a Jew, but he didn't know God personally. He didn't know Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He thought he was doing right by persecuting the church, but he didn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. What we know about this guy named Saul, if you were a follower of Jesus, he hated you, okay? We know that. We know he's he's persecuting the church, a destroyer of the church, a destroyer of, of Christians. He wanted to wipe out Christianity. But I want you to look at Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. I want to walk you through these 28 verses, all right? beginning with verse 1, verses 1 and 2. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him uh, to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way. It's pretty cool Christianity is not Christianity yet, right? It's a name given later. They were called the way. Now, think back to our previous series. Why were they called the way? Jesus says I'm the way the truth and the life no man comes to the father except by me so it's pretty cool when you think about it right they are they have found the way and they're leading others to the way they're called the way here so paul He's, he's out to get these guys. Back to verse 2, so that, if he found, so that if he found any men or women who belong to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So he's asking permission letters, for permission letters to go to the city of Damascus, and he wants to find men and women, moms and dads, family members. He wants to rip these moms and dads away from their kids And from their homes, he wants to arrest them. He wants to put them in chains and take them back to Jerusalem where they will be tortured and some of them killed. A real nice guy, huh? Upstanding. But in verses 3 through 7, I'm not going to read that, but we see in verses 3 through 7, it's truly one of the all-time, you-have-to-be-kidding-me conversion stories. This guy who is a terrorist of his day, uh wants to destroy the church kill christians put them in prison at the least Uh, and this is the guy have you ever met a person who came to christ and you thought well that was the last person i ever thought would come to know jesus have you ever known somebody maybe some of you were that guy or gal right that's this that's who this is i mean this is like the biggest the biggest surprise in all of of Christianity of this day but he's on his way to tor- to persecute these Christians and, and this is his story this incredible life-changing story this guy named Saul Paul is met, meets Jesus on the road to torture Christians to persecute Christians Jesus confronts him he convicts him of his sin Paul falls flat on his face Paul repents of his sins and this terrorist killer of the church comes to faith in Jesus Christ. know, I'm not going to read verses 10 through 19 e- either, but this encounter leaves Paul blind. This encounter with Christ leads him blind. He's led to a place uh, where another believer is named Ananias. And, and Ananias comes and he blesses him. Paul regains his sight. He's baptized. And then if you look at verses 20 through 22, this guy saw Paul. Who who is now saved, he immediately, I mean immediately, begins to serve. He immediately begins to tell people about Jesus. He's immediately on mission. He doesn't wait to take 30 classes on sharing his faith. He gets after it immediately. He begins to go on mission for Christ. Look at verse 20. Immediately he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. He is the Son of God. But all who heard him were astonished. It means they were blown away, okay? And they said, "Isn't this the man who, in Jerusalem, was destroying those who called on his name, on this name, and then came here for the purpose of taking them as prisoners to the chief priests? Hey, isn't this the guy who used to kill followers of Jesus? Isn't this the guy who wanted to destroy the? Tri- I mean, he had a reputation. They knew he was. Now he's following Jesus. I mean, you talk about a before and after photo. This is, you know, we've been talking about uh, trying to put together a presentation of before and after photos of the basement, the sanctuary." Pretty drastic. Well, this is a drastic before and after photo of, of this guy who tortured the church, wanted to destroy the church. Now look at verse 22. Paul, or Saul, grew more capable and kept confounding Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that this one the Messiah, is the Messiah. Verses 23 through 25, Paul narrowly escapes death. The former assassin is now almost assassinated. I mean, they're, they're trying to kill him now for the same reason he was trying to have others killed. The one who used to kill people for Jesus is now uh, going to have to run for his life. And we know that, that, that he used to participate at least in killing people because in Acts chapter 7 against Stephen, you know, a follower of Christ, stoned to death. And the Bible says that they put the clothes of Stephen at the feet of this young guy named Paul, or Saul rather. This same guy who's now about to be killed himself or at least in danger of. Look at verse 23. After many days had passed, the Jews conspired to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. So they were watching the gates day and night intending to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the wall. Now we're going to spend the rest of our time focus in today on verses 26, 27, and 28. Some time has passed. Look at the beginning of verse 26. When he arrived in Jerusalem, so some time has passed, he's now arrived in Jerusalem. He comes to Jerusalem, the place he used to wreak havoc uh, for the church, uh, persecuting the church, and now he wants to connect with the church. You know why? Because followers of Christ want to connect with the body of Christ. And that's what he wants to do. He, I mean, the church, it's the epicenter. Jerusalem's the epicenter, okay? It, and so he wants to come to Jerusalem where he used to persecute Christians. He now wants to connect with the church. It's the core of Christianity of the day. It's, it's the, the place where you, you you want to be, all right? And Paul wants to be there. He's trying to connect. He tried to associate with the disciples, verse 26 says. The way it's worded here, it's important because this, it means... He did this, these were repeated attempts, okay? So repeatedly, he's trying to connect. Why do you think he's having trouble connecting? They, they think, okay, this is a trick, right? He's just pretending. I mean, naturally suspicious. But when somebody's really passionate about Jesus, you know, studies have shown that, you know, visitors come into our fellowship, we might, we might have one chance to make a connection with them. You know, first impressions are everything, which shows you how, how much Paul craved, Saul craved this connection because he kept coming back, coming back, and coming back. And of course, he, he was rejected. He went back again and again because as a lover of Christ, he wanted to belong with God's people. He wanted fellowship and worship with God's people says he tried to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. And typically, you know, you, a guest comes in our church, and we're going to connect them with one of our 410 greeting team members. They're going to find one of the pastors, myself, one of the other pastors. Uh, you are going to take them to the welcome center. We're going to take them to a, a connection group. We're going to make sure that they feel welcome, right? Well, that's not what happens with, with Saul, and you can kind of understand. I mean, Saul comes in, and everybody knows his resume and so they're naturally suspicious and before we're too hard on the church in Jerusalem how would you like to be sitting right now next to a guy who had your dad thrown in prison or your sister tortured or, or, or carried away and changed from her family how would you like to be worshiping next to that that guy this morning so I mean before we're too difficult let's really think about this for a moment I mean it wouldn't have been beyond him to play a trick like this to try to suck You into being arrested or taken away from your own family, so we can kind of understand where they're coming. I mean, how would you like to take this? Invite this guy. Hey, come to my connection group social this Saturday night. Yeah, (laughs) bring some friends. (laughs) I mean, you naturally you can kind of understand. But look at what it says. He tried to associate with the disciples, but they were afraid of him since they did not believe he was a disciple. They, it's a trick. This is a setup. I mean, they, they think this—he's—he's he's pulling one over on us. And you know, with his resume, you can't blame him. But I want to stop right here for just a second because this is so important when you think about it. Okay, when you think about Acts chapter nine verse twenty-six, is one of the most critical moments in the beginnings of the early church. What happens right here? could have had great impact on how the church developed from here on out and, and us being here today. You've got this new believer. What's he going to do? Think about it. What's, what's Saul going to do? He can't go back to his old life. He can't go back to his old friends. Well, how do we know that? Because they're trying to have him killed because he's a follower of Christ. He's trying to connect with the church and move forward and grow in his faith. And At least as of right now, he's, he can't do that because everybody's suspicious of him. So, you know, do they. What, what does he do? I mean, you wouldn't blame him, and any of us might have completely given up at this point. I can't. I, there's no hope for me. You know, I'm trying to follow Jesus. I'm trying to do the right thing, but even his people won't won't accept me. I can't go back because they're going to have me killed. So, so what's this guy supposed to do? Saul, this is a guy who would future in the future become the apostle Paul, and right now in this moment, he becomes the. The greatest preacher, the greatest missionary, arguably, that, that ever would have lived rights over half the New Testament is what he ends up in right now. All of this, this is a pivotal, tender moment in his life because there's a chance it's all snuffed out right here because of discouragement, because he can't connect. The church will have nothing to do with him. Is there a chance that he'll give up? Is there a chance that none of what we know now happened could have not happened? I mean, God's sovereign. We know that. He's in control here. But think about Paul, Saul in this moment. What's he going to do? But then there are two words. Barnabas, however. That's great because it could be you, however. Or Alan, however. Barnabas, however, verse 27 took him in when nobody else would. Barnabas vouches for Saul. It literally means that Barnabas took hold of him. There's a physical sense here. He, he grabbed a hold of Saul. And we don't know any of the details, but the Holy Spirit gave Barnabas discernment that this guy, Saul, was the real deal. Look at verse 27. Barnabas, however, took hold of him and brought him to the apostles. means he steps in and he speaks up for Saul, who would become Paul, and explained to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. Now imagine, door opens up, all the apostles are there, church in Jerusalem, And they look at Saul and say, we don't know about you. But then they look at Barnabas and say, hey, we know, we do know about you. You're Mr. Encouragement. You are faithful. You have proven your character by the way that you live and by how committed you are to Christ and his church. And Barnabas says, hey, I will vouch for this guy. This guy that everybody's suspicious of. You know me. You don't know him, but you know me. I'm going to vouch for him. He's a different person. As a matter of fact, he's been on mission for Jesus. I've already seen it. He's been on mission for Jesus to the point to where he's almost been killed for his witness, for his service. And then, verse 28 Saul was coming and going. All of a sudden, Saul's coming and going with them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He was accepted, he's a part of the family. He's a part of the church now. He couldn't connect earlier. They were, they were, they were suspicious of him. And, th- and now he's on a ministry path that's going to impact the world for Jesus Christ. And if you don't believe me, if you're a follower of Christ today, you've been impacted by the ministry of Saul, who became Paul. I mean, this, this guy who was on the verge of giving up, couldn't connect, couldn't go back, couldn't move forward. He's now on the road to making an impact for the kingdom that that arguably hasn't been made since his time. And it's all because at this critical time in his life, one guy stepped up and said, I will vouch for him. That's a risk, right? But he does. Barnabas steps forward in the church in Jerusalem. He starts down, saw this path of ministry, and it was all because of the simple act of a friendship, a friendship of a guy who we know not by his real name, but by his nickname, Mr. Encouragement. What an awesome, incredible story, right? There's power in encouragement. Three things before we leave today I want you to see about the power of encouragement. Number one is this. Friendship encouragement takes engagement. It means you got to engage with somebody. you got to get involved in somebody's life. Look again at verse 27. Barnabas took hold of him. It took, it took him. It means he grabbed a hold of him. This means you, you picture, again, somebody grabbing a hold of somebody else. That means you've got to stop what you're doing and focus on this person. It's going to take time, investing in their lives, spending time with them, getting to know them. He took, Barnabas took hold of him. He got to know him. He physically brought him to the apostles in order to vouch for him. That involved risk. That involved, you know, putting his reputation on the line. And and if we're going to do that, if we're going to be engaged with new believers, then we have to be willing to take time to do that, to stop what we're doing, take time out of our day, our lives, to engage with other people in order to invest in them. And if we're going to do this, we have to intentionally Get involved in their lives. We have to create space in our lives in order to invest in other in, in other people's lives. And Barnabas had to do that. He had to create space. He had to invest in Paul. He had to get to know him, and we see him do that from this point on. He had to he had to to know about him, to vouch for him, or he never would have been willing or been able to encourage him if he had not taken time to create space to do this. He wouldn't have been able to encourage him. This story, when you break it down, when you cut out, uh, I guess, break it down to its simple message, it's a story about uh, the encouragement, someone encouraging a new believer. I mean, it's about one one person befriending a new believer to encourage them and to help them grow and become, fulfill the purpose that God has given them. And, you know, we, we've, We've got to be willing to do that to create space. But specifically here, you know, we need to do that for anybody, right? I mean, any you know, new believer, old believer, you know, somebody who's been saved for years. But specifically, it's a new believer here, someone who already knows Christ but is spiritually immature. In college, uh, early in college, I, I rededicated my life to Christ. I had been a Christian for many years, but I was still relatively spiritually immature. I would not grown the way I should have. And and I, I rededicated my life to Christ. I knew I was saved, but I rededicated my life to Christ, and I knew I immediately needed to be around people I had not surrounded myself with people who would encourage me in any way to follow Christ. So I, I wanted to get plugged in to a ministry that would surround me, that would allow me to be surrounded with these people. So I got really involved in the college and career. This was before I started serving at, at, at uh, Westwood, my home church. I, I, I got involved with the college and career ministry and began to serve. And there were people that God placed in my life. Toby and Teresa Caradine, David and Donna Snow, Scott Smith, Reggie Nichols, Aaron Sims, Those are just people that immediately pop into my head. Those were people that, those were Barnabases that God put in my life at that time to encourage me and to help me to grow spiritually, that challenged me, that sharpened me. And, And ultimately, these same people, those names I just mentioned among some others, those were the people that began to see gifts in me. You talk about compliments. They began to see gifts in me for ministry that I didn't even see myself. And God used them, instrumentally used them to lead me toward his plan for me in ministry. These were the Barnabases of my life, and we all need these people, and we need to be these types of people for those who are growing in their faith. Sometimes we see kids raised in the church, in a Christian home. They grow up. They need, that's the greatest testimony of the church. They accept Christ at a young age, and they grow in the Lord. Sometimes we see people come to Christ later in life. Maybe they've got a story similar, similar to Saul. It's a, a dramatic, drastic change where God saves them out of something uh, desperate. I mean, if they're lost, they're desperate out of a lifestyle that's horrible or whatever the case may be. But my point here is that regardless of whether you're saved at a young age or you're saved at a later age, wherever you are in your journey of faith, you need someone like Barnabas in your life that's going to encourage you and help you grow. And then you in turn need to be a Barnabas for somebody who's going to befriend you and pour into you or that you're going to pour into and and help become what God has called them to be. No one believes in Saul at this point, but Barnabas does and he invests. And here's what these these followers of Christ, new believers, old believers as as well, but we're talking about friendship with a new believer. Here's what they need. Paul, like us, all of us at that that time, needed someone to befriend him, believe in him, bring him in, and build him up. And we all need that at some point, especially when we're young in the faith. We need that. If you've been a Christian a long time, been saved for many years, listen, I I, want to be too critical this morning but if the longer we're christians the longer we walk with christ we have a tendency to want to hang out with other long time mature christians and that's fine listen we need that but 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 sometimes we fall into the trap of sticking in that lane because we tend to expect new believers to act like those long time believers And why would we expect somebody who's only been a Christian for a few months or a few years to act like somebody who's been a Christian for 20-something years? But we tend to do that. And we're, I mean, listen, I've been guilty of that. We've all fallen into that. Sometimes we get really stuck in that. Um, One of the things I love about Wall Highway is, is welcoming of new people. and and the excitement and the willingness to invest in new believers. But we all, we've got to guard against that because our tendency is to stick with that older, more mature group and not be willing to accept these new believers and to disciple them. Longtime followers of Christ, we need to embrace new believers. And, you know, I'll suggest, there's a lot of ways we can do that, all right? But I'm going to suggest something, maybe the craziest thing I've ever suggested. You've got a great opportunity, all right? Uh, when we move and, and now down here, but when we move back upstairs, let me let me, let me suggest something that's just going to blow your mind. Okay, all right. When we get upstairs, or even tomorrow, we're still down here. Maybe next week when you get here, sit somewhere else, <laughs> somewhere different. Come through the door. I see people. No, I can't know. <laughs> I'll go befriend Saul, but I'm not sitting. Listen, you're not the devil if you sit in the same place every Sunday, but how about we walk through the doors on Sunday morning looking for that new person to sit down or somebody we don't know to sit down next to and make friends with or close to. You can distance from them if you if you need to, but make friends with for the purpose of maybe being that Barnabas for that person. We've got to be on the lookout for opportunities. Who's waiting for you in your work, in church, in your home, at school? Who's waiting for you to befriend them, to be a Barnabas to them. We need to have our eyes open. The reason why engaging others to bring them to Jesus is so difficult is because study after study shows we are the most socially disconnected culture ever. Friendship encouragement takes engagement. And this is, is especially challenging in our culture of social disconnection. Emily Smith from The Atlantic, a journalist, she, she writes about this, and she's in the price of social disconnected. Here, She's talking about the fact that we all need community and are not getting it. She says, over the last 50 years, society has been growing more and more prosperous and individualistic. Our social connections have been dissolving, and it's called social disconnected. We volunteer less. We entertain, entertain guests at our home less. We're getting married less. She says, we are having fewer children, fewer and fewer close friends with whom we can share intimate details about our lives. We are denying our social nature and paying a price for it. Over the same period of time of social isolation and prosperity and individualism growing over that same time period, happiness levels have gone down the tank and the rates of suicide and depression have multiplied. Now, listen, I want to say real quickly. Social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. There's never been a time, any of those, there's never been a time in our history where we've been more connected over virtual means, methods, but more disconnected socially. This isn't is the sermon against social media. It has its place. It's a valuable tool that can be used for the kingdom of God. It's a way to make friends or to introduce friends yourself to people. But that virtual connection, it cannot replace flesh and blood connection. If you're going to be a Barnabas to somebody like Barnabas was to Saul, you got to connect in person. All right. You got to, you know, we, we studies are showing that people are having trouble talking to one another, carrying on a conversation, making a phone call. Y'all remember the days we used to make phone calls. I talk about, you know, having a landline and my kids make fun of me. But people are having trouble actually carrying on conversations because we're so connected to the screen. We're not connected in person. And I have a screen. I use social media. But here's what I'm saying. This isn't anti-social media. It has its place. Here's what I'm saying. We need balance in our lives in this area. Because listen, I know some people, I'm so thankful for our streaming ministry, for Facebook, being able to use that, uh, being able to use social media to get the word out, to to broadcast our services. Because right now there are people that can't physically be here. There are people that don't need to be here because they're at risk because of COVID. I understand that. This isn't a a sermon against that. Some people are checking us out right now to see if they want to come here. And that's fantastic. I'm so thankful for the people that work to put on that ministry. But if you are not here in person, and you're trying to substitute a a screen for a relationship, it will never completely satisfy you. And you'll never get the encouragement you need from a guy like Barnabas unless you're in person. You'll never be an encouragement unless you're willing to make those physical connections. We need connection to really share life with someone. We love God. We love people. We really want to encourage them. That requires engaging them. Second, friendship encouragement requires endorsement. It took the endorsement of Barnabas in order for Paul, Saul, to continue down his path of ministry. Look at verse 27 again. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and explained to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how in Damascus... He had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. He didn't give just a public compliment to this guy. He endorsed him. He risked his own reputation to do this because there are people in our homes, in our work, in school that need our endorsement, that need us to come alongside them and say, "God, Jesus has changed this person's life. Let's let's bring them in. Let's surround them. And people in the church, and need to befriend this person. We need to surround them and, and help them become what God's called them to be, to grow in their faith. They need you to guide them and to invest in them, to pour into them. They need you to stand with them, to stand up for them. Barnabas and all encouragers are called bridge people. Encouragers are bridge people. There are people who are new to the faith that need you to be the bridge between them and their old lifestyle and their new lifestyle in the church, in the church fellowship, in the ministry that God's called them to. And that's what it means to endorse somebody. Paul needed a bridge builder, and Barnabas became that bridge builder for him. That's what friendship encouragement is. Barnabas wants to build bridges and tear down barriers so that Saul can grow in his faith, so that he can do what God and and you know Barnabas doesn't even nobody knows at this point what God's going to do through Saul but Barnabas wants him to fulfill God's purpose for his life and what that takes to get plugged into the life of the church what that takes is what Barnabas does he's not focusing on Paul's past he's focusing on his future potential in Jesus Christ we can focus on people's past or we can focus on their future potential in Christ. But if we're going to be a Barnabas, we got to be willing to focus on their future. Repentance has taken place in the life of of Saul. Barnabas knows that. He knows there's a change that's taken place, and he's he's focused on his future. And in order to do that, in order to be a Barnabas and vouch for somebody else to be a bridge builder, then we've got to be fruit-bearing disciples of Christ. Our character matters here, because think about it. If Barnabas comes in front of these apostles and he's not Mr. Encouragement, he hasn't shown fruit living for Christ, it's not going to matter what he says. If we're going, you know, I picture again, Barnabas walks in with, with Saul, and they look at Saul and say, I don't know about you, but we do know about you. We know your character, Barnabas. We know your faithfulness. You are Mr. Encouragement. And because you vouch for this guy, we'll give him a shot. We'll give him a chance because of you. If Barnabas wasn't real, if he wasn't truly a fruit-bearing follower of Christ, then then it wouldn't matter if he vouched for Saul or not because no one would have been able to take him at his word. If we're going to encourage others in our friendships, we've got to engage them in our lives. We've got to befriend them and endorse them to others. We've got to be bridge builders who connect people to people who knock down barriers. There's a book about uh, influence it, it talks. There was a story in that and that ended about an experiment they did where they uh, Were trying to see how long people could endure pain. That sounds like a fun experiment to participate in right? Well, they got these people to stand Barefoot in ice cold buckets or buckets of ice water If you've ever like sprained your ankle and somebody shoved it in ice water that it, it's not fun I mean, it's necessary but not fun So they got these people to stand in these buckets of ice water to see how long they can endure it and You know what they found out? They found out that that if they put somebody in the room with them to encourage them, when they felt like giving up, to encourage them to stay in the ice water. I'm not sure that's a real friend, but anyway. (laughs) They put somebody in the room with them to encourage them to stay in there. You know what they figured out? They figured out that people with with someone in the room with them to encourage them were able to stay in the bucket twice as long as people by themselves. You know why that is? Because we need encouragement. We need each other. If that's true for standing in a bucket of ice water, you, there, those icy, cold, painful situations in life where you want to give, give up, you need a Barnabas in your life, in the room with you. Stay in the bucket. Don't give up. To, to move forward, to press on, right? When life gets tough, we need those people. We need people to invest, to engage us, to invest in us, and to endorse us, to encourage us, to keep moving on. I'm sure Saul was ready to give up, but Barnabas says, hang on, no, wait a minute, let, let, let me take you. I, I, I know these guys, and if I vouch for you, they'll, they'll accept you, and I'm willing to vouch for you. You keep moving forward. Don't give up, Saul. God's got a plan for you. We've got to be willing to invest. One more stop. Friendship encouragement takes enlightenment. It takes you and I being enlightened about one thing, one marvelous truth of this whole story in Acts chapter 9 is this. Jesus can change anyone's life. doesn't matter who you are, where you've come from, what you've done. Jesus can change your life. Think about this guy, Saul, the equivalent of a modern-day terrorist in our world, terrorizing the church. God gets a hold of him. And he changes his life because God can change anybody's life. And I don't know who that person is in your world, but there's somebody. There's one there there, there's a person who maybe you've fallen into the belief that he's just he or she's just too bad, too far gone. But there is no person who's too far gone or too bad for Jesus to change. And as we're on mission. You know, we need to, as we're reaching out, trying to minister to people, there's a lot of titles for Jesus, and I love them all. But there's one that jumps out as it relates to this. As you and I on mission, going out, encountering people, those good people, those bad people, everybody in between, there's one title in Luke chapter 7, verse 34, that we need to think of, and that's Jesus is the friend of sinners, because that's who he is. He's the friend of sinners, and that's why he can change anybody's life. His love, this talks about his love, his mercy. I mean, he is a friend of sinners. He's willing to show grace. We don't deserve it. That's why it's called grace, a gift that we do not deserve. There's no doubt that if Jesus were not the friend of sinners, there's no way a guy like Saul becomes Paul. But guess what? There's no way a guy like me becomes saved and a pastor. There's no way someone like you becomes a child of God. Without Jesus being the friend of sinners, none of us have a chance, all right? None of us have hope, but Jesus is the friend of sinners, and that's the good news of this, is that a guy like Saul can become the greatest missionary, the greatest preacher known to man because Jesus saved him out of sin. We're separated from God. We're imperfect. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross. He died for your sins, for my sins. He was raised from the dead so that we too can conquer death. He defeated death for us. Why did he do that? Because he's a friend of sinners. He died for every lie you've ever told because he's a friend of sinners. He died for every ounce of pride in your life because he's a friend of sinners. He died for every immoral act You've ever committed because Jesus is a friend of sinners. He died for every time you've allowed anything to become an idol in your life because Jesus Christ is a friend of sinners. And right now, this day, Jesus, he died on the cross. His blood covers our sins because he's a friend of sinners. And right now, anybody, you... If you don't know Christ, you can receive forgiveness. You can be set free from your sins because Jesus Christ, he will offer it now because he is a friend of sinners. And there's hope for a guy like Saul, for a guy like Barnabas, for you, for me, for anybody that will come to him and receive forgiveness because Jesus Christ is a friend of sinners. No matter who you are, what you've come through, what you've come out of, God can change your life. He can save you and set you free by the power of his blood, by his resurrection. We need to understand that God is a friend of sinners. Now, I've seen these billboards. Maybe you have too. (laughs) Webuyuglyhouses.com. Well, that's a right-hand turn, but I'm going to wrap it up. I'm going to bring it together. Have any of you seen these? All right, you see them all over. What's the idea here? They'll take, if you, maybe you've inherited an old house. It's a cave. It's falling apart. Or maybe you've got an old house that you don't want to invest in to fix up, and you can't get rid of it. Even in today's markets, you can't get rid of it. You buy these guys, and they will come in for pennies on the dollar, but they will come in, and they will buy that house, and here's why. Because they look at your house. You don't want anything to do with it. You've given up. You don't want to invest in it. And they say, hey, we'll buy it for pennies on the dollars, and we will we'll invest in it. We will fix it up where you see an old you know broken down fallen down cave we see promise we see a profit right and it is about profit don't get me wrong but but they're willing to invest the time the resources the money the manpower because they see promise where you've given up where you see no hope and here's the deal all right i i, I don't know i don't know about you but there are people that I, I've seen throughout my life who I've thought, Psh, no chance. I've looked at myself at points in my life and thought, oh, no chance. I don't see any way out. But when we see somebody like Barnabas look at Saul, everybody in the church is saying, forget it. We don't trust him. He's just an ugly house. There's no chance. Barnabas says, no, I see promise, I see potential. Because I see Jesus. And Jesus didn't say this, but here's what he's saying on the cross. I buy buy ugly houses. Because where you see an old, broke down, ugly, fallen apart vessel, I see, where you see sin, I can give forgiveness. And he doesn't just take the old and refurbish it. He makes it brand new. By salvation, by his sacrifice, by his blood. We have no idea the power and impact that's wrapped up in simply loving, befriending, and encouraging others. Are we willing to be a Barnabas to somebody who needs a friend? That should encourage you. Man, the fact that Jesus will take you as you are and make you what you need to be, that he will never give up on you, that he gives you Barnabases in your life and allows you to be a Barnabas to somebody else, well, that should encourage us today. It should encourage us to live for Jesus, but it should also motivate us to be a Barnabas to somebody else. We have no idea what God can do through our lives if we're willing to engage, invest, befriend, and endorse someone who needs a Barnabas. No idea what God can do. Barnabas didn't know what God was going to do in the life of Saul. Nobody did. He was just willing to get involved and to pour himself into somebody else. Let's be a Barnabas. Let's, let's too be a friend of sinners because we're all sinners. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for giving your son Jesus. When we were lost, when we were broken down, when we were worse than ugly, you sent your son Jesus. Jesus, you gave your life. You allowed your blood to be spilled to cover our sins. God, you raised him from the dead so that we could have victory over death. And it's all because of that, that we have hope, that we can have assurance, we can have salvation, we can have a future. We do have a future in you. And I pray that if there's somebody here in this place or watching today from wherever they are, if they haven't accepted that gift of salvation, that you would just bring them under conviction right now, that you would speak to their hearts and that they would cry out to you. We've all sinned and fallen short of your glory, that they would would cry out to you and ask you to come into their lives and forgive them of their sins that they would accept a gift of salvation that only you can offer. And for those of us who are saved, Lord, I pray that we would seek out individuals that we could befriend, that we can be a Barnabas to, that we can invest in, that we can endorse and encourage, engage with, that we can lift up and, and come alongside and pour ourselves into. Because God, we know that there's, there's there's possibility, there's potential in that individual. And there's no telling what you can do through that simple act of friendship, encouragement. Lord, I pray that you would give us those individuals, those Barnabases, and that we would be a Barnabas to somebody else. Lord, use us, open our eyes to the people around us that need encouragement. For it's in Jesus' name that we do pray. Amen. Would you stand for our time of commitment?